John chapter 17, if you would. We'll open the Word of God together, read a few verses beginning in verse 1. John chapter 17. This is a, a beautiful chapter. If you've never taken the time to study through it or consider through it, you really want to encourage you to do that. This is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the entire chapter is the prayer of Jesus to the Father. And uh, he, you really can see into the heart of the Lord Jesus as he prays this prayer. So we're going to take a look at this tonight, kind of apply it to us just a little bit. John chapter 17, if you found your place, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We'll pray and begin reading right there in verse 1. So let's pray together. Father, how we love you tonight, how we thank you for loving us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to meet in freedom, to hold a copy of the Word of God in our hands, to be able to be encouraged by Christian friends and a good church family. And Lord, to be able now to partake in a reading of Scripture and have you speak to our hearts that we might worship together. Lord, we do lift up your holy name and we do thank you for all that you've done for us. And we ask that as we read the Lord's Prayer, that you'll apply these things to our life and may we have some of the same desires that we hear the Lord Jesus praying as we read John 17. Speak to our hearts. Guide our thoughts through the scriptures tonight. And show us what you'd have us do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. John 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. We're going to read more of the Lord's Prayer as we work down through the message tonight. I want you to think about these verses, and especially verse 4, how Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly ministry here, and in his final time, he prays this prayer and says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What a thought. So I want to preach a, on this thought tonight, a successful ministry. A successful ministry. Jesus certainly had one, and I want us to learn a little bit from his heart, from his prayer from his life tonight. Thank you so much. You may be seated. <clears throat> we could have read the whole chapter as a text, but that would have taken a little, a little length. I would encourage you to go back and, and read it at length, maybe throughout the week, and dwell on some of the things that you'll find here. What I'd like for us to do tonight, because I know that in the heart of every Christian, everyone who, who grows to the point where they have a desire to serve the Lord, to make a difference, and to impact others, that in the back of our minds somewhere, we all have that desire for a successful Christian life and ministry. And we, we say it like this, that one day we want to hear those words of the Lord to us. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I, I think that's one of the highest prizes uh, of our calling, to follow the Lord and to please Him and to hear Him say that when we meet Him in heaven one day. I believe as we look at this chapter in the heart of our Lord Jesus, I think we can find some things that will help us to know what a successful ministry is. And this is important, by the way, to see a successful ministry from God's point of view. I think it's important because if we're not careful, 
we take the world's def- definitions of success, the world's characteristics, and then we apply them to the Christian life and to ministry. And if we're not careful, we get more focused on man-made results than we do on what really pleases God. And so there's profit, I believe, in looking at this chapter in this way so that all of us can apply these truths to our life and we can have a successful ministry as we serve the Lord together. Notice, if you will, some characteristics that I find here that we might apply to our life in ministry. You can start in verse 1. What is a successful ministry? Notice what Jesus said. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. So Jesus was asking for glory from the Father. Remember what he said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Well, that hour was come and he was about to be lifted up. So he's asking his Father to glorify him so that in in turn he can glorify the Father. Hey, that's a glimpse of a successful ministry because... What does a successful ministry do? I've written it down as number one. A successful ministry glorifies God. Glorifies God. So at any time, if you're in, if you're in question uh, of, say, our church ministry or your life work, it's a good idea to back up and just look and say, okay, who are we glorifying? Who's getting the glory from this? It should be the Lord. God is glorified when we do things His way. He said in verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. A successful ministry helps others know Christ. It brings them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus and introduces people to him in that way. And so, you know, that's something that all of us want to be part of. And I think that's why missions is such a big deal here. Because we want to be part of a work that brings others to Christ. And uh, wasn't it good tonight to hear that, that report, that missions update? And, you know, when you hear stories about missionaries hiking miles, or, or maybe, maybe some of the people who come and attend their services, walking for miles just to attend church, doesn't that just touch your heart? It reminds us that we have it so easy. We have such convenience and comfort. And uh, sometimes I wonder if we take it for granted. We want to help people to know Christ in that way, in the way of salvation, that they too might be saved. Look at verse 4. Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What does a successful ministry do? We already talked about it glorifying God. Notice he said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Hey, can I tell you something tonight? It's real easy to start things. But it takes a lot of effort, a lot of discipline, a lot of character to finish. And Jesus was able to say, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. A successful ministry finishes his work. And we certainly want to be faithful to the Lord by doing that. Now we stopped reading in verse 4. I wish we could read the whole chapter, but we'll skip around a little bit. Look at verse 6 tonight. He said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So what does he say? He said, I have manifested thy name to them. So we know the Lord Jesus, he gathered these men around him, and he invested in their lives. 
And so he manifests the name of the Lord. He introduces God to them. He helps them uh, get closer to God in their relationship. And that's exactly one of the earmarks of a successful ministry. Manifesting the name of God to others. He said in verse 7, Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. A successful ministry in verse 8 reveals or repeats the words of God to others. It helps people receive the word of God. You know, that's the reason why we teach, and that's the reason why we preach. The Great Commission is full of those commands and those, those uh, uh, urgings to go and preach the word of God, right? To go and, and teach all nations. What are, what are we doing in our teaching, in our preaching? Well, we're taking the word of God and, and we're trying to deliver it to others in a way they can understand because we want to give the word of God to others in a way they can receive it and know Christ for themselves uh, as their savior and to know God personally and grow in their Christian life. It takes time, doesn't it? It takes effort. I've heard a lot of people say this about ministry. Ministry is when you deal with people. And when you're dealing with people and you're imparting the word of God to them, you know, the challenge is sometimes it's messy. And the reason it gets messy is because people get messy. Sometimes we have to put up with all the baggage and the stuff that people are involved in and dealing with things that they, that they have to let go and get out of to, to really come clean and come to know God the way they should. And we're, we're helpers in that process. And because of that, it gets messy. Because of that, it's not always comfortable. It's not always convenient, right? It takes, it takes a lot of effort sometimes to bear with people and work with people and stay with people and, and, and just go through all of the steps that they need to go through to get where they need to be. Thinking of that missionary hiking for three miles, is that what you said, three miles? Something like that. I was reminded of that tonight. I, I thought about that. You know, not every, not every effort to reach somebody is a, is a physical hike. Sometimes it's a spiritual hike. Sometimes it's emotional and it's draining but it's always worth it when people come to God. So Jesus is praying. He's praying over these disciples. No doubt he's thinking of tender moments, tough times that he helped them and walked them through some issues, things in their life. But he prays to the Father and he says, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. What a precious thought. A successful ministry is one who helps others receive the words of God. Notice, he goes on, he says in verse 9, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. I thought it was interesting in verse 9, I remember years ago being all concerned about the world and the way the world's going, and I was praying, God, save the world, save America, and all of that. And I read that verse, and a thought came to me. God's not interested in saving the world. He's not interested in saving America. God's not into politics. 
Thank God he's not a politician. Hallelujah. <laughs> you can believe his words, right? <laughs> Amen. You know, God's interested in saving people. Because all this other stuff's going to burn up one day. This is a fallen place. And we've read the last chapter. We know how it ends. You know, God's really not interested in salvaging all this. He's interested in saving it. And then he's going to give us one day a new heaven, a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. We're going to live in a place that's not touched by sin. And, and it won't be groaning like this creation that Paul wrote about. Um, he said, I pray not for the world, but I pray for them. Verse 10, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, in verse 11, notice what he says. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So he prays to the Father, and he recognizes that he's about to leave. He's going back to heaven. He's going to ascend. And he's going to leave this world in the hands of these followers that he has trained. He has given them the word of God. They have received it. And now he's about to go to the Father. And the work is going to be up to them. A successful ministry is carried on by the next generation. Carried on. You know, I've often heard it, and you probably have too, that, that every church is one generation from extinction. And we are. If the next generation doesn't carry it on. It's so good to see our young people coming to church, having families, growing in the Lord. Because, you know, that's the process of continuation. Jesus continued that by... Uh, multiplying through his disciples and other believers that would believe through their testimony. He knew that they were going to continue on. As a matter of fact, he told the disciples, he said, the works that I do, greater works shall ye do. Why? Because he was going to the Father. And he was going to leave them in charge to continue the work. A successful ministry is carried on by the next generation. So what does that mean to us? It means that we in turn, need to be pouring and investing back into them. We need to be mentoring, training, praying, and, and preaching to them so that they're prepared and they have what they need to do the job when we're not around. A successful ministry, in verse 18, is a sending agency. Jesus is praying for his disciples. Let's back up a few verses he says in verse 14, I have given to them thy word, and, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, if you notice, if you read this chapter, and, and then you, you, know, you, have to, you have to put some things together, Jesus says of the disciples, um, like in verse 12, where he says, I was with them in the world. He recognizes that the disciples are in the world, but then he says they are not of the world. I remember listening to a radio station one time, and someone called in and asked that question. Where in the Bible does it say that we're in the world but not of the world? And they, they failed to recognize that, that, that concept in scripture the reason they failed to recognize it is because they were using a different version and of course it's not worded that way 
But here in John 17, that's the words of Jesus. That's how he, that's how he said it. He said the disciples are in the world, but they're not of the world. Because, because of salvation has made a transformation in their life. They're no longer the same. That's what he was talking about. So he says in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Then he prays in verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And in verse 18, finally, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So a successful ministry, according to verse 18, is a sending agency. Ascending agency. Someone once said about a church, the power of a local New Testament church is not in its seating capacity, but in its sending capacity. And I think that's an accurate statement. The Lord Jesus here is putting an emphasis there on that sending the disciples, sending them into the world, the authorization, the commissioning uh, of them as agents of his work in the world. In verse 19, he says, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You know, out next to that verse, you can write future believers, those who will believe based on what the disciples teach and preach and do. Future believers, you know, we could way down the line, we're included in that. Future believers. Verse 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You know, I believe that a successful ministry is a unified ministry. And if we understand verse 21, we see the power of unity. And it was important to the Lord that a ministry be unified. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why I don't like to see Christians fighting in public and debating, even theological issues. Be careful about doing that at work. The world looks at all of us as Christians, no matter what tag or denominational uh, you know, label we wear, the world lumps us all together into one bowl. Notice what Jesus prayed here in verse 21. That those who are one, it would cause the world to believe. And I believe part of the disruption, now we know who causes that. We have an enemy, the devil likes to stir things up all the time. He's the enemy of the brethren. He likes to steal and kill and destroy our work and what we're trying to do for the Lord. You have to be careful about that. I'm not saying we shouldn't uh, stand for the truth, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. So let's make sure, at least in our ministry, that we're unified and that we're like-minded, of the same mind, of the same purpose. Because it will make a difference to the lost looking on whether they are impacted and will believe or not based on what they see in us. So in part... The power of, of unity plays a part in evangelism, uh, affecting those who would believe. And Jesus is praying that way in verse 21. A successful ministry is a unified ministry. By the way, think of all the thriving works, ministries, churches that you know of. 
Aren't they unified? Mostly. And I would say the answer to that would be yes. Um, Jesus prays that we would be unified. Verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be uh, made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Sounds like very important stuff. Look at verse 26. He says, I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. A successful ministry in verse 26 imparts the love of God to others. It's interesting as we see all of these great characteristics, and I'm going to read them through one more time because some of you are writing down and I want to make sure you got those. So we said a successful ministry, according to verse 1, glorifies God. In verse 3, it helps others to know Christ. In verse 4, it finishes His work. A successful ministry, according to verse 6, manifests the name of God to others. In verse 8, it reveals or repeats the words of God. In other words, it helps others receive God's words. In verse 11, a successful ministry is carried on by the next generation. In verse 18, a successful ministry is a sending agency. In verse 21, it's a unified ministry. In verse 26, a successful ministry imparts the love of God to others. The Lord is praying this beautiful prayer. And then in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples. So he leaves the garden here where he was praying. He leaves this prayer and he goes on. And we know shortly what's about to happen. That he's going to be illegally arrested. They're going to have this mockery of a trial. It's going to violate Jewish law, but they're still going to proceed forth with his conviction which is all false, and then they're going to crucify him on an old rugged cross. Three days and three nights, he'll be in the grave, and then he'll resurrect. This time is going to be a a faith-shattering time because it's going to disrupt everything the disciples thought they knew about Jesus. You see, from the prophet's point of view in the Old Testament, looking forward, they expected him to come and set up his millennial kingdom. They didn't understand this era of the church age. And they didn't understand the mission of Christ to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. They were devastated when Jesus was crucified. And the Bible says when when Jesus was arrested and taken to, to Pilate, that Peter followed afar off, to see the end. And that's the way it was in their mind. Now I'm pointing all of that out because the disciples had to endure one of the hardest things that we endure as Christians this side of heaven other than beatings and trial and I'm not talking about that. Paul endured some of those things. But they had to embrace change. 
because things were about to change greatly. And what was about to happen to Jesus was about to defy all of their expectations. And everything that they thought and hoped for the future was about to be crushed by this experience. The disciples had to get past that. They had to embrace that and grow. Somebody wrote this down, and now you see it printed on different things. I think it's a great statement. But it says, grow through what you go through. The disciples certainly had to grow through this difficult time of the crucifixion of Christ and then his resurrection. His resurrection empowered them in a great way. It renewed their hope and their faith that was crushed by the crucifixion. And they came out on the other side better than they were. It's a powerful thing. There's no other explanation as to why the disciples would have given their lives the way they did. Something empowered them, something transformed them into the faithful saints that they were, the martyrs that they became. It was all part of that process. Someone said change is inevitable, but growth is optional. And so I pin this on the end of this message as we consider a successful ministry, looking at our own lives and our own church and the things that we do for God, we have to understand, and I know Beckwith knows, down through the years, there's been changes. Things have come and gone, right? Successful ministries have to embrace and endure change. And that does happen. But we have to not just endure it, we have to grow through it. We have to take what we learn from it to be better than we were. And that's what the disciples did. That's what Jesus wanted and prayed for them as well. He took the time to pray for them because he knew he was about to depart. And it was about to be in their hands. Think of, think of that. With maturity comes responsibility. And the disciples were now carriers of the word of God and they were about to be unleashed on the world. And how powerful that was about to be. They had no idea, but Jesus is praying it in John 17. We see from the heart of the Lord Jesus these characteristics. This is what a successful ministry looks like. Hey, did you notice I didn't say a successful ministry makes a million dollars a year? There was no monetary value attached to that at all. Right? It's funny how our values are misplaced down here. You know, we think money's everything. And when we get to heaven, you know what we're going to find? They pave the roads with that stuff. Gold is going to be the pavement. We're going to walk on that. Wow. It reminds us that we need to stay focused on the Lord and His values. We need to remember what's really important as we serve the Lord. And so tonight I give you these characteristics of a successful ministry. Let's ask God to help us to embrace those and to see them play out in our lives and our service to the Lord as we render it. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, how we love you tonight and how our desire together is to be successful as we serve you. Lord, we want to be good Christians. We want to have a successful Christian life. We want to have a successful church and ministries. We want our missions to be successful and all the other uh, 
thing, undertakings that we put forth the effort in. And Lord, thank you for these reminders tonight about what that looks like. To be successful in your eyes. Lord, that one day we might hear truly that well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, in the meantime, we ask for your guidance, your strength, your empowerment, Lord, your help. Lord, your encouragement, that hope that we need that helps us to continue to be faithful and finish. And so we pray for that tonight. We ask you to just teach and guide our hearts. Show us what you'd have us do next and how we might apply these things to our life and our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.